I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, my name's Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Podcast. It's been a really busy week for tech this week with big announcements from both Apple and Google. Apple started the week with the announcement of a new MacBook Pro, AirPods and more. And Pocket Britta O'Boyle joins me to discuss all the new products and services heading our way. Meanwhile, I've been talking to the second Sea Lord of the Admiralty, Nick Hine, about tech and innovation in the Royal Navy, and in particular, its new Future Fleet report and how it plans to change the Navy in the future. And Pocketlint's editor, Chris Hall, joins us to tell us more about how he's been getting on with the new Google Pixel phones. It's this year's crop, the ones to get. Stay tuned to find out. But first, back to you, Britt. Tell us more about these music announcements from Apple. But first, back to you, Britt. Tell us more about these music announcements from Apple. So we've got three main announcements on the music side. There's Apple Music Voice Plan. Um, there is okay. HomePod Mini in new colours. And there's AirPods, the third generation, um, which have spatial audio on board. Let's start with the voice plan. What does that mean? Um, so that means that you can only access... It's a new plan that means you can only access Apple Music through using your voice, so using Siri. It means that there's that you can't use the app to specify songs. You can only say, hey, Siri, play the latest song by whoever you want to play it by, or you select, um, you ask it to play a playlist. Um, so it means you can only use your voice. You can only use Siri, but you can use it on different devices with Siri. So your iPhone or your Apple Watch or your HomePod Mini or such like. Cool. And I suppose this is really for those people that just come in from work and say, play me some music much, and yeah. don't really care about sort of curating a specific playlist or searching through different tracks and all those kind of things. Yeah, exactly. And the app will show you recommendations based on what you've played using your voice. And I believe it will also show you your recently played um, tracks, but it will be a different interface to what the other subscribers get. So that was that. And then new colours. What is it? Just is it literally just new colours, or is there something more? No, exciting? they're just new colours. Although the colours do, they go all the way around. They're through the entire mesh of the HomePod Mini, and underneath, and the tops even got some in the some in it as well. So they have redesigned the devices entirely with the new colours. So it's not just they've just splashed a new case on it or anything. Um, and they're quite cool as well. They're quite nice and bright. So they will definitely brighten up your living room. And then the big announcement on the music side was the AirPods 3. Yeah, so third generation of the standard one. So they'll sit in between the second generation is still being sold. So they'll sit in between the second generation and the AirPod Pro, the AirPods Pro, um, where and they'll come in sort of around middle of the price point as well. And you get you get quite a lot actually. You get um, sweat resistance and water resistance with these, and you also get Apple's spatial audio technology, which the AirPods Pro have as well. So you get a few of the AirPods Pros 
features, but for less money, which is great. There is a bigger announcement probably that you were covering. So they've announced new MacBook Pros and uh, there's two new models, 14 inch and 16 inch. They come with new processors. So they've taken the M1 Apple Silicon processor, which they launched last year and upgraded it, basically doubled the speed to create the M1 Pro and then doubled the speed again after that to create the M1 Max. That's slightly confusing because obviously the Pro and the Max are already names that Apple use on the iPhone, yeah. but they're the same on the iPhone. The Pro and Max is just different screen sizes, and this obviously is now referring to processors that are vastly different speeds. Um, that said, ignore that bit. The most interesting thing for most people when it comes to MacBook Pro is that they now have lots of ports on back. the side. <laughs> they brought them back. This is effectively, from what I can gather so far, this is... a. Back in 2016, we used to have a MacBook that had an SD card and it had, you know, USB sockets and it had all these different ways of connecting things to the device. And then they kind of lost their way on the Mac and it kind of went a bit weird. And they kind of changed the keyboard and they got rid of all the ports and it wasn't as exciting and as useful. Yeah. Um, now in 2021, five years later, uh, it's all gone back to normal. It's as if the last five years hadn't happened. It's as if, if you're an old enough listener, it's as if Bobby is still in the shower. <laughs> it was all a dream. Um, so from that point of view, you know, I get the feeling it's it's going to be really exciting. It's a much more powerful machine, uh, bigger displays, brighter displays, uh, crisper displays. Um, perhaps controversially, there is a notch in the display. First time on a Mac MacBook, uh, very similar to the iPhone. Uh, range where the camera which is now 1080p rather than 720 so that's better um sits and and so it'd be interesting to see how people cope with that and what happens and how that works when it comes to you know whether it interferes with your windows and things like that but the idea ultimately is these are super powerful machines that should be able to do anything that professionals and i think that's the key element here is professionals want um and and you know as I said in the newsletter earlier in the week from the announcement, uh, they have me at SD card reader. I mean, that's for me, I know that's a small thing, but now not having to find a dongle and then unplug the thing because the dongle wouldn't fit in while the plug was in, you know, all this other stuff, and just being able to slide a, an SD card in to be able to download the pictures that we take for, for Pocket reviews and things like that will, will save me, save me hours, <laughs> even in the first day. So, which is very exciting. They've also got rid of the touch bar this time, haven't they? They have, yeah. So again, this was really interesting. They kind of, it, it was really loved, but nobody loved it yeah. uh, kind of moment. Um, I, I think it was one of those things. They brought it in five years ago in an attempt to try and be different, to try and, you know, they've slowly over the last five years got, you know, pared it down. A couple of years ago, they introduced, you know, the Touch ID button. Then they introduced a physical escape key because guess what? Developers want a physical escape key and if if you a listener and you've used the touch bar you know it's frustrating trying to remember what configuration the screen is going to be at any one time um i do talk to some people and they, they think it's brilliant but they are far and few between and i think really the only time i've ever used it as as someone has had a touch bar on their device for for quite some time just because there was no you had to have it um I think I used it for auto-filling my phone number and email on a form on the web, which is rarely, you know, rarely happens. Um, and when it does happen, normally you just get the drop down on the, on the yeah. web screen anyway. So 
you know, on, on Safari anyway. So I think it's, you know, I think a lot of people will will like that. I think a lot of people will be excited um, who've been waiting for five years for, for the Mac to come back, so to speak. And I think this this kind of implies that it will do. And it'll certainly be interesting to see when we get them in the office uh, of how they perform and, and how they fare. Still to come, Chris gives us his verdict on the Google 6 Pixel and Pixel 6 Pro smartphones. And those give very impressive results. And it's quite a, you know, it's a, it's a big step change from what we've seen in the past. You perhaps wouldn't know that when you open up the camera app because everything kind of looks and feels exactly as it did before. Vice Admiral Nick Hind, the second Sea Lord of the Royal Navy, has a big job. Second in charge and effectively the CEO, he's responsible for the welfare of around 35,000 servicemen and women and an annual spending budget of around £7 billion. As you can imagine, tech and innovation is at the forefront of how a modern successful Navy runs, which is why the Royal Navy has released a new future fleet report. And there's some eye-catching stuff in the report that looks at how the Navy will change and adapt over the next couple of decades, including drones based in the stratosphere to be launched at a moment's notice, uncrewed fast attack craft housing smaller autonomous boats, aircraft carriers propelled by both sea-based biofuels and renewable power, and an underwater flagship at the centre of the fleet. Wanting to find out more, I started by asking the Vice Admiral how he saw the Navy changing in response to the report. Um, so it, it's really interesting, Stuart, because of course the Navy's constantly changing. Um, what this is is a step change in terms of both um, ambition and pace. So what we're trying to do is to get after a, what that which is happening in the rest of the world more broadly uh, and exploit it. So that means using uh, all of the things that are happening outside that you would recognize just in your mobile phone and your computer uh, and your sort of daily life uh, and make sure that they are, we're exploiting them um, as best we can. Now, tech moves so, so fast. Um, you know, how do you stay on top of that and adapt? You, as you said, you, you're responsible for a huge budget, 35,000 men and women, servicemen and women. You know, how, do you, how do you keep on changes of, of things when I know from you know, covering the industry for the last 20 years, the things that I was covering 20 years ago are nowhere near existent anymore? So, so, that, so it's hard. Um, uh, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. So I think the, the idea that it's hard and therefore continuing to do what we've always done just no longer holds water. So we have to adapt, and that means taking um, more risk um, than we're used to. It means um, being more ambitious in our timelines. It means getting after stuff that perhaps we would have traditionally allowed to take years rather than months. And it means um, employing people with different skill sets. Um, so we're going to have to uh, improve the, the, the sort of base, if you like, of uh, those people that, that we want to, to join uh, the Royal Navy in order to, to exploit all of that. And how important do you see tech in, in, in the future for the Navy? I mean, you know, if you look at it a long time ago, it, you know, it's obviously about ships and, and commanding waters and things like that. The, the world's moved on. How, how important um, is tech in that, so, that story? So, Stuart, it's fundamental. And if I was... Uh, the, Navy, the Navy, to some degree, defence to a large part, has always been at... Or traditionally, was always at the front end of the technological development and exploitation spectrum. We have undoubtedly been overtaken by uh, the private sector, uh, and, and that's okay uh, as long as 
we then learn to leverage on the private sector and make the most of, of what's happening. But if I was to say to you, um, a nuclear submarine is the most complex thing uh, this uh, nation builds, and it operates in the most hostile environment known to man, uh, I'd say we were quite good at um, embracing technology, but I come back to we need to do more and we need to do it faster. And, and what are some of the key things that you've found you know, that are going to dominate the trends over, over the next decade, for example, from, from this Future Fleets report? So um, what I think is interesting, Stuart, there's a lot of buzzwords that people throw around AI, autonomy, autonomous, uh, all this sort of stuff. I, I'm sort of not interested in, in, in that in terms of the buzzword bingo that we play. Mm. The, the fundamental point here is this is all data-based. So somehow we, we produce inordinate amounts of data from paper copies right the way through to you know, top secret and beyond um, uh, files. Uh, and therefore, we've got to get ourselves into a position whereby not only do we understand where all that data is, and it's, it's, it is exploitable, um, but also if you think about allies and partners who we want to be able to share that data with, it has to be of a reasonable standard format understood so that we can, that we can do that. Because we will only get mass with, uh, with sharing, and we'll only get sharing with data interoperability, interchangeability, whichever word you like better, but it's underpinned by data. Everything else will come if I get the data, the data conversation right. Now, some of the looking through some of the uh, some of the sort of ideas and suggestions and, and things within the future fleet report, it, it, it some of them feels like they've come out of a Marvel plot line, um, you know, with kind of uh, drones flying out of bases based in the stratosphere and stuff like that. How how viable do you think that is, or is that really kind of like, well, we'll see this in fifty years' time, but maybe not in the next five? Um, so uh, again, you know, I, I joined the navy. You know, the best part of 35, 40 years ago, uh, and we didn't have a mobile phone uh, or a computer mm. or the internet. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the only thing I can tell you, Stuart, is that I, that whatever view I have of the future, it will be wrong. Um, what I can't tell you is um, how wrong. Uh, therefore, I have to get after a view of the future that I think is to the benefit of the Royal Navy in terms of its outputs uh, and UK PLC in terms of its value. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think it was, it was, I think it was, it was Henry Ford, wasn't it, who said, if you ask people what they want, they'll design a faster horse. So we, we've got to get to a position whereby we ask people what it is, not what they want, but what they need, because the two things are not the same. And a lot of things, you know, towards, um, when you look at something like the space program, for example, uh, especially in the States, you know, a lot of the technologies that are going into that then trickle down to the general public. Um, you know, thinking like Teflon and, and, and the, you know, known sort of yep. things like that. Do you see that a lot of the work that you're doing will eventually trickle down into general public's hands? Or do you foresee that there is always a sense of some of this technology is, is really just, you know, for the, for the armed forces and, and nobody else? Um, so I think that's possibly true in certain bespoke areas, but I think the converse is true. Actually, I, what I see is lots of the things that are happening in, let's call it the civilian world, but that's better description is probably the private sector, um, will trickle down into the military. So um, the oil and gas industry um, do 
uh, uncrewed underwater mapping, data exploitation, surveying, and they do it now um, routinely because it is commercially viable. Um, those sorts of techniques, systems, and equipments I can exploit. So that's that's the way I think we should be we should be doing business. Um, if somebody could just give me military WhatsApp, then actually my world would just be much more straightforward. Interesting thought of just you know, everybody using WhatsApp for for um, for the military as well. Um, how all of this stuff as well is is that sense of you know with climate change and sustainability and and things like that. And, and sometimes some people think, well, you've got this very large aircraft carrier or a very large submarine or, or things like that. And and how can that be? You know, that must use a lot of fuel and all those kind of things. Is is that something that you feel within this future? fleet report is, is sustainability something also key of, of looking at ways of, of powering ships more efficiently or using you know new technologies in, in that sense so so yes Stuart. so so sustainability is key to our long-term relevance um, not only because actually it, it is the right thing to do but because actually young people will not join an organization where sustainability is not high on their agenda um, we can have the debate about whether people think nuclear fuel is green or not, but I'll tell you, it produces no carbon, no carbon emissions. And what do you think is of all of the stuff that you've that you've kind of outlined for the next fifty years? What's what's the one that excites you the most? If you could, like, you know, we're allowed to press the button on any, any specific one, would you go? I think this is this is going to be the game changer. So, so the the one that I like most um, is do you are you probably do you remember a program called Sequest DSV? Yes. Yeah. And it used to have underwater drones that flew around from a mother submarine. And this submarine was all, all powerful in, the, in the, you know, uh, the underwater domain. That's what I want. I want one of those. In, in just sort of an autonomous sort of drone network underwater? Yes, because that, that the, the, the laws of physics are the laws of physics. The, the underwater domain will be a very, very challenging place to operate forever. And therefore, operational advantage can be gained and maintained in that domain specifically. So if, you, if you've got limited resource, you want to apply it where you get the best value. So let's do that. And do you think that's the drones or, you know, whether it's underwater drones or most people when they perceive drones, they think of an air drone. But do you mm. think that's that kind of mix between machine and human? so to speak, soldier, is, is kind of the perfect way to do things? I certainly think it is for now. I think we need to um, move into a sort of a human-machine teaming conversation um, to reduce the number of people we need. We need to free them up to do the things that um, drones cannot do. Uh, lots of the stuff we do is repetitive and um, arduous. That should be done by uh, a machine uh, and, and allow the, the, the person in the loop to do the, the difficult bit, and that currently is the thinking. So um, we should undoubtedly be trying to exploit that which exists in order to free up capacity to apply it in a different way. Cool. And I think the one, one final question I have, which is a very cheeky one, is, is have you ever lost a game of battleships? Um, the, the, the answer is I don't like to lose, Stuart. <laughs> If Google's Pixel line of phones appear to stumble in 2020, then 2021 is all about coming back stronger. The Pixel 5 launched as a mid-range device, seemingly stepping away from flagship ambitions. And while it offered some interesting elements, 
To many, it felt as though it lacked ambition. It was, ironically, the perfect phone for 2020. With refreshed enthusiasm, though, in the air for 2021, we have the Pixel 6 and a new flagship, the Pixel 6 Pro. And it feels like Google's most ambitious phone yet. But can it live up to the hype? Pocketlens editor Chris Hall has been putting the phone through their paces and is here to tell us more. Well, I've got to start by saying that at the moment we are in a period where I'm not allowed to give you a final verdict. So I'm still partly under embargo, but I can tell you quite a lot about these phones. The most important thing is that Google seems to be taking its smartphones a lot more seriously this time around. People will remember that last year we had the Pixel 5 that was small and mid-range And it was accompanied by the Pixel 4a, which people thought, why are these phones launching at these strange times? Blah, blah, blah. Jump forward to the the new devices and things Mm -hmm. have, have completely changed direction. The Pixel 6 Pro is actually being pitched as the first flagship pixel that they've ever produced. And that's kind of obvious in the huge screen size, 6.7 inches, which is uh, very high resolution at QHD. It offers 120 hertz on the display. The phone offers wireless charging. It has three cameras on the back, including a new fancy periscope zoom lens. So they really are putting everything into this device. There's, and And it feels like they are preparing to try and take on some of the bigger players out there rather than just being happy to put out a phone that was good with the camera and perhaps questionable in some other areas. Uh, The Pro is certainly the model that's getting the most attention. As I said, the camera on the back has been completely redesigned over other models. And you'll you'll remember that Pixel has had a a good reputation for cameras for a long time. Mm. A lot of that comes down to Google's use of artificial intelligence and machine learning and basically what they call computational photography. And those have always used the same sensors in the past. They've been 12 megapixels for, you know, the last you know, almost since the the, uh, the series began. But now they have switched up to a 50, pig- 50 megapixel main sensor, which is much larger, the argument being that you can capture more light. They also have this 48 megapixel telephoto lens, which is the folded periscope thing, the sort of thing we've seen in the past from Huawei and the, uh, the Samsung S2021 Ultra has one on the back as well. Um, and those give very impressive results. And it's quite a you know, it's a it's a big step change from what we've seen in the past. You perhaps wouldn't know that when you open up the camera app because everything kind of looks and feels exactly as it did before. So if you had a Pixel device previously, you'll pick this one, start using it and think, hey, the camera feels exactly the same. And then you'll, you'll get to play with some of the new toys that it's got. And you'll say, oh, wow, this is, this is quite a big step change from what we've had before. Um, the other big thing about this phone is that it's the first device that Google has put its own silicon into. Apple moved its silicon recently. Google seems to be following down the same line with this the chip that it's called Tensor. Google says it's taken them four years to develop it. They say that it has uh, enhanced security properties, saying that this is the most secure uh, hardware that you'll find out there. I, I believe that it's quite closely related to Samsung's X. Exynos hardware, uh, but that's not officially been confirmed. Uh, Obviously, I can't actually say what the performance of it is like, but I can probably say that I have seen nothing that concerns me so far in the sort of flagship space. Um, That's obviously a big part of the story. I think it's quite interesting that Google are actually advertising this phone and advertising Google Tensor at the same time as though 
they think that Google Tensor is really, really important. And that's going to help people make the decision to switch over to this new phone. And, and that's the thing, isn't it? Normally when we talk about a new Android phone, we're talking about Snapdragon and Qualcomm and it, they've, you know, uh, the dominant force within that industry. How's the, is there a concern? Should we be concerned or should we be excited by the fact that Google has tried to go out on its own? Well, that's certainly a question that Android fans are going to be asking themselves. And when they decide where they're going to spend their money, they will probably be saying, well, should I go with with Qualcomm that I know and has a good reputation and has been very good on providing good network connectivity and all the rest of it, or should I go with somebody else? But I think the uh, the important thing to remember is that that Google isn't actually manufacturing themselves. They didn't build a plant and say, oh, we're going to start completely from scratch. They're building it on a very familiar architecture that we've seen before. So and, and it's being fabricated, presumably, from one of the big places that probably makes the Qualcomm stuff as well. So I don't think there's going to be a huge concern. Uh, the, um, the important thing is that this is Google's hardware sitting behind Google's operating system. So there's a good opportunity for them to make sure that Google Tensor works very, very well with Android and you get the experience that you want. I, th- I think it's, I mean, the scale is slightly different to what Apple has done, but I think it's a similar sort of approach of Apple saying, well, actually, we're going to take control of this and bring this in-house and brand it Apple Silicon and it's going to want, run Apple hardware perfectly. And I think Google is is basically making the same sort of move. Now, the Pixel range has always been, you know, very popular, but also fairly niche in that sense of, you know, it's not a Samsung Galaxy phone. It's, you know, and so how do you think so far, I know it's still early days, how does it feel and compare? Because I know you, you like the Galaxy experience. Is this akin to that? If you were switching from a Galaxy because you thought, um, you know, maybe I will go Google this time, is that a good decision to make? Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, the uh, the the Pixel Six models are also the sort of debut devices for Android Twelve. Um, that said, Android Twelve is now rolling out to other Pixel devices too. But in its pure form, uh, Android Twelve does make quite a few changes, and some of them are at the very consumer end of the line. Uh, the biggest one is something called Material U, which allows you to pick a wallpaper and then theme the rest of your device based off that wallpaper. So you can pick a picture of the Mandalorian and then your icons will pick out some of the tones and change in color, you know, little changes throughout the device so that instead of having all the highlights in blue, for example, they change to silver or or whatever. And that's a very, very consumer thing to do. And it, it, it kind of highlights that somebody is thinking about what the experience is like, which is where people like Samsung have always had their strength. They've always been able to add value to that Android consumer experience because they're so uh, they ha- they have so many years of, of working in that area. So there is a lot here. I mean, obviously, when you take a Samsung phone out of the box, it does absolutely everything. You know, it completely reskins Android. It changes the experience. The Samsung Galaxy experience is related to, but quite different from Android. And this is really Android 12 in its pure form with some pixel extras that you always get stepping up to say, hey, we can do a whole load of this stuff and we can do it in a very clean and exciting way. And so do you, are you excited by this so far? I mean, do you think it's something that's going to be a, certain, a contender, as they say? Um, yeah, I do think it's exciting. And it's more realistically exciting than some of the previous devices that have sat 
sat at the top end of, of Google's phone offering. The other thing that's really important here is the price because the uh, the Pixel 6, the smaller one, um, that comes in at 599 That's 599 pounds or, or dollars. Whereas the the larger model, the Pro, is is eight nine nine. That's pounds dollars. And the the thing about that price is it's really affordable. You compare that to flagship iPhone. Mm. You know this would be uh, Pro Max territory, and you know we're looking at hundreds of pounds cheaper. And and it's similar to Samsung with the Ultra. This is a this is a much more affordable device. Um, and I think it, it lines it up to be incredibly popular. But that big question remains of whether people will commit and say, I will move, I will invest in Pixel and, and trust it and go with it. I mean, I, I think the fans will be incredibly enthusiastic about it. I'm excited about it. Um, from what I've seen so far, it's shaping up to be a great device. Um, but convincing the millions of people to to swap over from Samsung, I think, is a very, very hard task to do. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, pip pip. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.